Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I will be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we will discuss how God provided a solution to two insurmountable problems that face all of humanity. The first problem being our sin. This problem has to do with our actions and attitudes, or as we said last week, our flesh. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The second problem is the problem of our sinful spiritual identity. The second problem has to do with our intrinsic nature, or more clearly, who we are at the core. Paul describes this as our old self in Romans 6, 6, when he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This discussion today is central to understanding more clearly who God is, what God has done for us through the cross, and ultimately how we can begin to have a more intimate relationship with Him. With that said, I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and here we go. All right, joining me today is Ben Brezina. Hey, Ross. Hey, and Bo Brezina. Hello. And uh, first time on here, we've got Mark Fields. How are you? Hey, fine. We got, happy to have you today. Good to be here. <laughs> awesome. All right, so in the introduction, I highlighted that God has a solution or solutions to our two biggest problems in life. The first one being our sin and the second one, our sinful nature. These two problems are different from each other, and yet they are distinct, and yet they are also connected. So, Bo, I'm going to start with you. Can you explain a little bit how our actions and our identity are separate? And yet connected also. Wow. Let's start off with an easy question. <laughs> yeah, softball for you. Yeah, right thank there. you. Okay, so obviously sinful behavior is pretty easy for most people to understand because it's the, the words that I speak and the, the things that I do. And uh, I grew up hearing, you know, you shouldn't do this and you should do that. And the scriptures are very clear about various sinful behavior. It's the sinful nature part that's a little bit harder, I think, for many people to grasp. And since our culture ties your behavior in with your identity, it makes it even harder. Hmm. But yet scripture is very clear. You know, you referenced that we've all sinned, right? Mm -hmm. And that would be the behavioral part and falling short of the glory of God. But then scripture obviously also talks in Romans and in in Galatians, but Romans talks about the old self specifically. Yeah. And that's the nature of who we are. It's the it's the the dead spirit that we've already talked about yep. um, in a previous podcast. And so, a, being able to separate those two things, first of all, I I never I grew up really hearing much separation. Mm. And so, yeah. one is the source of identity; the other is the behavior. So, would you say it's important for us to separate them? Absolutely, it's essential. Um, I didn't understand the separation between them, and so I just assumed that when I sinned, that means I was a bad person, and therefore I was a sinful person, and I'm a sinner, and then if I do better, I just need to work harder at doing better, so it was trying to work on behavior, but not really having a clear understanding of this identity piece, which mm -hmm. was the sinful nature piece, and how you know, it was very confusing for me, and led me in a lot of circular kind of religious you know, effort yeah. to try. And so it's absolutely essential that we separate the two. And I think the, the scriptures do it. I just wasn't taught it. Sure. 
Mark, you got a great illustration about a car and a car factory. Those two, you want to share that about the distinction between the sin and the nature there? Yeah, and their connection, their yeah. connectedness as well. I'll attribute this to Tony Evans from his book Free at Last. But as I explained to the people, I asked them, what if you wanted to get rid of all the Fords that are on the road because they're in your way and you can't get to work on time and they're, they're cutting you off and all that, and you had a device in a way that overnight with nobody in the car, you could push a button and eliminate every Ford that was on the road. Overnight, they're gone. And that represents behaviors. And you say, okay, that'd be great. So you do that one night and you have about two weeks worth of free going to work and no hassles, no Fords. But all of a sudden, one day, there's an F-150 in your rear, up in your grill or in your rear mirror. And you're thinking, what happened? I thought I got rid of all the Fords. Hmm. And here's was the, um, the manifestation, I guess, or the aggravation that I was dealing with. And I say, what didn't you get rid of? And they say, well, the factory that creates the Fords. Mm. And that's what's happened at the cross and what we'll be talking about and the difference between nature and behavior and identity and sin is that the factory, the producer of those sins, is mm. what's being dealt with and what's so powerful about that. Yeah, so the idea with the factory is that the factory is producing or it's like the central area where out of that comes the actual product of the sin or the Ford. And so that's the reason why we talk about today that there's two problems. Right. There's not just the problem of the Ford vehicle itself, but there's also the problem of the factory where they're coming from. So we've talked about why it's important to keep them separated, but how are they connected? Like, obviously, there's a factory in the Ford. We've got that connection. But how do they connect in our lives day to day? I think, you know, if you're going to talk about our, we need to define that because sure, it's good. different. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole good news of the gospel. That This whole session is there's a difference between a person who's been born again good, and a yeah. person that's not. But the Bible talks about, all the way back in Genesis, it talks about Jesus. I mean, God, after he cleansed the earth with the flood, judged the earth, uh, he said he's never going to judge the earth again, even though you know man is sinful from his youth. And so there's this idea that we're born dead to God that Paul talks about in Ephesians. And so that speaks to the nature, and we're all in that together. Paul mm. says we're all in this we formally lived in that. And so the idea that we're born with this and it's going to result in us sinning. And Bo said it's easy for us to determine what sin is. I think each of us has a definition of that and maybe we can justify our little pet sins. But really, I think maybe we need a definition of sin hmm. according to the Bible. And it's just basically selfishness. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it to meet my own needs and to get life. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes under that. Once you've bought into this lie that I can be my own God and I don't have to operate independence on God, then yeah. everything becomes a sin. Yeah. So go ahead. I was going to say, and I'm glad that Ben brought up this distinction between a, someone who has been re, uh, reborn through mm -hmm. salvation and someone who's, we're all born apart from God. As you read in Romans three, yep. you know, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And so if my core nature is a sinner, everything I do is an act of sin. Exactly, yeah. It, it's, it's the factory. Yeah. Everything, whether we quote-unquote say, well, that's a pretty good thing, you helped you know, the poor. Well, really, it was for me to feel better and, and like I'm a good person, so I helped the poor. It was birthed out of sin. So we can't really separate the factory from the Ford mm. in that regard. And that's how we were all born uh, you know, from the very get-go. Yeah, so things change, obviously, at salvation. So there's this big transformation, and that's the solutions that we're going to talk about today. But I think just 
establishing where we are at, where people are born and what the status quo is for humans out there that aren't saved. It's the factory is in sin and everything they produce out of that is also sin as well. So it's, as Romans also says, we were, they were slaves, that they are slaves to sin. They don't have a choice. If, mm-hmm. if their spirit's dead and they have nothing else but the ability to produce sin, they're obviously slaves to that. So in, in, there's, a, there's a verse in the Old Testament that talks about how the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And, mm. so, and, and then the Bible talks about out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever's down inside, if that's broken, then what's coming out is going to be broken. And Ezekiel yeah. said it was a heart of stone, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. that God was going to give us the heart of flesh. Well, and I like your phrase there where you said nothing else can come out of it. It's like, again, we're talking about a factory, so a Ford factory. It's not going to produce a Mitsubishi motorcycle, right? It just doesn't have the equipment. It doesn't have the capabilities of producing that. doesn't have the parts. And so that brings us to our solutions, right? So each of these problems of the sin and our nature are distinct, and so they, they kind of need individual solutions. So how did God solve each of those? Well, the simple answer is through the death of Jesus his, yeah. and his resurrection. You know, we talk in the book about the blood cleansing us from sin, mm-hmm. but it's really the blood is a symbol of the death. So it's his death, his shedding of blood. The life is in the blood, the Old Testament says. Yep. and But it's by nature of the death. So the wages of sin is death. And so there has to be a death, which is represented by the shedding of blood. And on the other hand is, you know, that old person, that old Ford mm-hmm. factory, so to speak, as Mark said, that's, that's got to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so there's got to be a, a co-crucifixion, a, a co-death. I got to die. Yeah. So not only do my, do my sins, but it's not a physical, like Jesus explained to Nicodemus. He was thinking in the physical realm. It's a spiritual. We need to be born of spirit. And, that, and so we need uh, the old nature to die and us to be reborn spiritually. So I've heard it also described, and you guys can talk about this a little bit, but the death of Jesus took care of our sins. Like you said, the blood covers our sins. I've also heard it describe it that, yes, our old self needs to die, but we don't remain dead. So there's also that other solution that God, the other part of it, where not only did he kill our old self, but he then gave us life. And that's part of the solution as well, is that we not only now have killed the old self, but he also gave us life. So isn't that included in part of the solution to the nature part of us? Hmm. Yeah. I like the analogy for him to have removed our sins and our sin nature before he could breathe his life into us. Suppose that you had gone to the kitchen and gone to get something to eat and you didn't come back. And we, we found you in the kitchen and you're on the floor choking on chicken. Mm-hmm. And we realize he's choked on something. What do we do to be able to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Well, you have to do the Heimlich maneuver on him. You have to go ahead and remove the obstruction before you can breathe life into him and start mm-hmm. him breathing. And that's what I think he did on the cross. He did the Heimlich to us by removing our sinful behavior and our sinfulness. So earlier I referenced Galatians. Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the old sinful mm-hmm. nature. I no longer live. And this is why what Ben said is so true, uh, that the death and the resurrection is both mm-hmm. part of the solution. Yeah. We had to die. The chicken had to be removed, so mm-hmm. to speak, from the airway. 
and then his life had to be breathed in and that without his resurrection life. And that's why Romans 6 talks about us being immersed into or baptized, is how it's translated, into his death and then also resurrection with him. Mm-hmm. And that is the solution yeah. um, that I think you were asking about earlier. Yeah, the, the goal, the good news of the gospel, the heart of that is us being joined to the life of God receiving the Holy Spirit, becoming one with him. That's the whole goal. The problems, as Mark said, had to be dealt with. And I think I think it's important to just say that right here. Is that that's the beauty of the gospel is we're joined to the Lord. And that's where his peace and his love and his joy, it all comes from his presence. And that's the good news. Sometimes the gospel gets presented as it's a ticket into heaven someday when we die, but it's not. That's not the gospel the scriptures produce. That's a small part of it, but it's almost like a PS. And the the main heart is the life that's infused, but there are these two problems that have to be overcome. Yeah, I've heard heard it equated as uh, Jesus or God is a travel agent, just changing your destination, right? And, And obviously, like you said, that's just a small part, but he's not just changing our ticket to hell than to heaven. I think you're right. I think too often the gospel is watered down to hell insurance, like fire insurance, you know, that you're just not going to burn anymore. And I think that cuts it too far short because ultimately the solution that God wants to give us is his life. Again, if we don't have that portion, his resurrection and our resurrection spiritually, then what are we, right? So he killed our old self, but what's replaced it, you know? And there can't be that newness of life without his, and that to me ultimately is what brings the good news, is that now we have his life, we are different at the core, and that produces different behavior. So we've talked about the solutions. What are the options as far as our response, right? There's there's two response levels here, and we can address both of them. But the response levels are for salvation and then after salvation. How do we choose responses in both of those arenas? Well, to me, it's you receive it or you refuse to receive it. You believe it and receive it or you turn away from it. And I thought of the analogy of Christmas time. And there under the tree is a present. It's got my name on it. Mm. And I can just sit over on the other side of the room, or they can hand it to me, and I can just fold my arms and refuse to take it. Or I can open my arms and receive it. And I thought of a time once with my college buddies. Um, they're all in the room. We're goofing around. And one of them says, hey, close your arm, your eyes and open up your arms. I got <laughs> something for you. And I think, oh, no, I don't these guys are up to. I don't trust the giver, yeah. so I'm not going to receive what they're given. Mm. And so I refuse that. But if I yeah. trust the giver and I know what, what's coming, I can open my arms and receive it. So what does that look like? I mean, that's a great analogy. I like that. What does that look like for both salvation? And then as a believer day to day, what does that look like? Mm. Ooh, well, first, as a, well, a non-believer, and I can think of my first time in 1970, where I realized I cannot provide my own salvation. I can't find life in anything I'm trying to do, be it mm. grades, girls, football, whatever. And I came to that rec- the realization that God is the only one who can give me life. Mm. And 
it wasn't even fire insurance for me. I just needed meaning, and I needed something here and now worth yeah. living for. Yeah. And so that spurned my decision. And so that was a one-time receiving, but then it's the daily process that I'm sure we'll be talking about in many more podcasts of each moment. Am I going to believe that he's the giver and I'm the receiver, mm. or I'm the achiever, mm. and he can take a side seat? We talk about receiving, and it is a gift. We receive the righteousness of God. We receive salvation. And that's a humble, you have to have a humble mindset. I can't do this for myself. And so there's that mindset. But it's also, I think Scripture teaches, a giving. You have to give your life away, Mm -hmm. the the life that you live for your sake. That's a surrender, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. we died and we're made alive so that we wouldn't live for ourselves. We'll live for him who gave his life for us. And so there is that idea of a surrender in addition to a reception. So, and that's really what we're going to be talking about next week in the great exchange is we're giving something and God's given us mm-hmm. something in return. Cool. As far as I, you know, you ask about the solution at salvation and then afterwards, I think of Romans 6, 6, which obviously encapsulates the uh, mm-hmm. the part of the solution about being the old self being crucified with Christ, knowing this, the old self was crucified with Christ, so we no longer be slaves to sin. That's at salvation, what we receive and happens with us. But Romans 6.11 says, it talks about reckoning yourself dead to sin. Mm. In other words, he's saying, believe it. Yeah. Believe the solution. Believe yeah. that you literally died with Christ, the old self, mm. the old sinful. Of course, he goes on, uh, you know, from there, to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, Hmm. which is also part of the solution. Ben said, you know, the gospel is, yes, cleansing from sin and heaven, but it's the really good news is being joined or united in spirit with Christ who is our life. And so if we don't recognize that the old sinful person was crucified, dead and buried, we probably never really get to the whole fully living in the idea that I am united in Christ. He's alive in me, and I get to enjoy that solutions, quote-unquote, every Mm -hmm. moment of every day. And it gets taught wrong sometimes. I mean, we tend to focus on the forgiveness of sins, and yeah, we're cleansed from sins, and it, it sounds too good to be true, and it causes concern, especially if that's the only part of salvation that gets preached. Yeah. Because now you're, all your sins are forgiven and you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And people get scared about that because they know the Bible teaches we're not supposed to sin. And that's why we need that other piece. The identity piece is, no, you don't want to sin. You have a new nature. You want to do what God desires because he's got your best interest in mind. And it's that change of heart. And so we need we need that for the ongoing process. Yeah, we need the cleansing of all our sins, but... That new nature is what our life is in Christ is. And that's propelling us forward in this life with Christ is the co-crucifixion and resurrection with him. I think most people have probably heard that on some level. I mean, and like you said, it's probably taught wrong or it's taught inaccurately or incompletely. But how do we describe or communicate to people what it means that we are dead to sin and no longer slaves to it? Because I think people still think, well, I sin, again, going back to the behavior and identity statement, well, I sin, so what does it mean to be really, truly dead to sin if I still sin? I use an analogy. It's, it's of ice cream at my funeral. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> little bit morbid, uh, but first you have to know that I really like ice cream. I'm a big fan of ice cream. Yeah. 
tempted to overeat ice cream. Uh, <laughs> what flavor? Uh, well, anything except coffee. <laughs> I'm not okay. a coffee ice I'll cream. I'll eat all the coffee ice cream. Okay, there you there go. go. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I uh, the people I'm walking with and talking about these things, I say, you know, imagine I drop dead and you come to my uh, funeral. That's the morbid part. Mm-hmm. And let's say my wife has one of the open caskets so you can see my beautiful dead body. <laughs> and uh, this would be a little weird and awkward, so I don't recommend it. But at least try it out. Wear a suit so you have a long, a long uh, sleeve, and you can tuck a little bowl of ice cream up your sleeve. And mm-hmm. as you walk past my casket to pay your quote unquote last respects, uh, you slip that bowl into your hand, wave it under my nose, and what am I going to do? And of course, they laugh at the absurdity of this, and they say, "You're going to do nothing sure. because you're dead to sin." And a lot of times people say, "Well, yeah, the analogy falls short though, because I still feel like I want ice cream," mm-hmm. and I, you know. But when you start looking in the spiritual world, you realize that that old sinful self that was was completely controlled by overeating ice cream has been crucified with Christ. Mm. And therefore, that's why Paul says, reckon it true or consider it true or basically stand on it. It is true. And yet our feelings scream, no, it's not true. You still want to eat too mm. much ice cream. Yeah. And so most people live as if the feelings are what's true rather than what Christ says happened on the cross, mm. the solution that we're talking about as true. And so I think that's a very important thing. I might not feel dead to sin, but it does not mean that the scriptures are not true because the scriptures are true. Mm. Christ accomplished it. Along those lines, it just popped in my mind. I heard somebody say, I think it was Andrew Farley, who said, you know, think about it the opposite. If Before we were slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. Well, when we were slaves to sin, if you were to ask someone who is a slave to sin now, who's not saved, not reborn, do you feel like you do bad things all the time? And they'd say, no, well, no, I, I feel like I do you know, quite a bit of good things all the time. And yet what they're doing is sin, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, they, what they're experiencing is sin, but they don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same with us. We don't always feel like we're righteous, but we always are righteous, regardless of how we feel. And so it's just just because we don't feel something, the slavery is on, like you said, the spiritual realm, which is important to understand that's why there's a distinction, why when we talked about how we're designed, there's a distinction between our spirit, our soul, and our body. Because if we can actually understand what part of us has been completely you know, removed and crucified and raised and baptized with this Holy Spirit, then we can understand, okay, spiritually we've done that, and we can kind of start to parse together, I am no longer a slave to sin spiritually. Now, in my choices, in my mind, in my feelings, my emotions, in my body, that's still a work in progress, but spiritually it's completely done. Yeah, and I think it's also important to, to say is just because the old self was crucified with Christ does not mean that I cannot make a choice to choose to sin again. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying is is that because I have this new heart, that's not the core of who I am. I'm mm. a slave to righteousness. My desire is always righteousness, mm. even though sometimes I choose to get mixed up and go back to the old ways of thinking. Um, so let's keep going. Let's make it more personal now. Let's take it to our stories and see how we've experienced this. 
Ben, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about your initial response when you understood God's solution for your life. How did you process that, choose that solution? What was that experience like for you? You know, the initial exposure to the gospel was more like fire insurance for me. In fact, when I was three years old, it was my older brother coming up to me and telling me that I was going to go to hell <laughs> because I didn't have Jesus in my heart. And That's what older brothers are for, right? <laughs> yes. He, he delighted in that too much, I think. And so I was, cr- I went crying to my mom. And, and that's, so that's how it kind of was explained to me. And, you know, I had a general concept from my parents. They were very good about teaching me about the Bible. And so I had this concept of forgiveness of sins, Mm. but I also had a a big awareness of my sin. And I was always taught to confess, you know, in fact, we had a prayer journal and that was supposed to be part of my daily prayer. I was supposed to think of enlist all the sins that I did that Mm. I could remember and, and confess those. And of course, when I did, I would feel really bad. And there was that whole process. And we describe it here, like being on a treadmill where you're calling to those things and then and you ask forgiveness and, and you know, you know, you have forgiveness supposedly, yet you still feel guilty. At least that's what was my experience. Mm-hmm. And, yep. And really there was no teaching that I can remember. And that doesn't mean it wasn't there, but it didn't resonate with me of this co-crucifixion uh, it was focused more on getting to heaven. And so really it wasn't until I was in college and I got uh, exposed to some teaching and I really dove in deep into Romans, especially one through eight, and started to discover the transformation, the exchange that had happened and the righteousness that comes by faith. And in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. All these truths started coming alive. And I felt like in a lot of ways, like I was saved for the first time because I, for the first time in my life, really had an understanding of what the gospel was. And Mm. it was transformational for me. And I remember there was a revival. I went to Wheaton College, and there was a revival at the time. And I saw the the power of the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. And it wasn't prompted by manipulation or Mm. guilt shaming people. It was just a, a genuine moving of the Holy Spirit. And it was a really powerful transformation in my life, just the freedom, the rest that came from knowing that my sins are forgiven, but the power of a new identity and a stability that started to come as I started to embrace that new identity. Yeah. Was it the change of heart that you now have a new heart with new desires that stood out to you? What part of that new identity really stood out to you in that transformation? Yeah. So this idea that I'm a container of God's life, started to resonate. So he'd cleansed me, but then he had put his spirit in me. So that to me, and, and being a child of God, a beloved child of God, spoke to my need for love and for somebody to accept me and, and be with me. Hmm. It just, uh, it brings a sense of significance to me. Hmm. And I think about that as we look at the story of Jesus is What's a person worth, or what's a, what's anything worth? Mm-hmm. What do we value? Well, we value something based on how much we're willing to pay for it. And you know, as a hobby, I buy and sell machines sometimes, and everybody doesn't agree on what something is worth. <laughs> and so, some people may want to give you a lower price than you, you're willing to part. And until we come to an agreement about what it's worth, there's not going to be a transaction. And when I think about Jesus and what He's even when we were separated from him, we were enemies, he was willing to pay the ultimate price, mm. which is his life. 
And so thinking on that, those thoughts, uh, he's willing to give that, and he wants my life, and there's this transaction that's taking place. Mm-hmm. I had that identity as being his beloved really settled in mm-hmm. deep, but also this idea of being a container that wherever I go, I'm bringing the Holy Spirit, God's presence. That's a transformational mm-hmm. transformational thing. If you, if you go into a grocery store, and you think, I'm bringing God's presence into this grocery store, it's going to change everything about how you <laughs> sure. relate to the other people and sure. why you're in there, yeah. the purpose for why you're in there. And that's what that difference has had in my life. Well, for me, uh, you know, I grew up in the same family as Ben, so we have a lot of uh, overlap. I definitely did not have a understanding of these two problems. I knew of the sin problem. Because the culture has taught me that behavior equates with identity. So if mm-hmm. you sin, you're a sinner, right? They're one and the same. I mean, you can't separate them. Yeah. And then, of course, I heard the salvation messages, you know, seemingly every week, you know, church, all sorts of Christian outreaches and stuff. And so I had a, the concept of God's forgiveness, but this still sense of, I've got to do better. Uh, something's wrong, still wrong with me because I mm. keep sinning, and I didn't have that clarity. It was like I had one half of the gospel. Yeah. And one half of the gospel is not, I mean, it's good news. Sin is a huge problem, and I don't want to get judged by God. But really, I did, had no idea of this container idea that Ben was talking about, this life thing. And I remember at some point I hit my life, I just was like, there has to be more. Jesus said he came to bring abundant life. It's not just when you get to heaven, hmm. surely, yeah. because the whole scriptures don't seem to, I mean, it's going to be great in heaven, obviously, but I was like, there's got to be something more. And when I started understanding being co-crucified with Christ and buried with him in this new life, new spirit, and Ezekiel prophesied, the Holy Spirit within, it's like the whole picture came into clear focus and it makes the the gospel, it made it clear to me in such a way that the beauty of it is just, it's breathtaking. It's beyond, it's too good to be true news. That's what gospel means. And But the, the gospel I heard was Jesus cleanses you from sin, you'll go to heaven, now start obeying him and do better. Hmm. You know, try harder, get the disciplines going, and it's going to be bad, but eventually you're going to die and go to heaven, and it's going to be really good. Mm. And Hooray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my exposure until the Lord. It took many years before I started understanding Romans 6.6 6 and Galatians 2.20. So in that transformation, when you started to understand those more, how did that affect your day-to-day life, your work, your family, your you know all that stuff? How did that affect that? Well, I mean, it's like uh, the Proverbs says, the the path of the righteous is like the coming of the dawn. It grows brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. In other words, it wasn't a light switch flips and bam, oh, this is so amazing. It's Hmm. been a growth journey. But how it's affected my life would be I get to enjoy Jesus a lot more, which means I'm a lot more at peace Hmm. if I'm believing it, if I'm walking in it. And what that happens is his light seeps out of me. And I think that it frees me to enjoy other people more because if I really am this new, I was crucified with him and I was buried with him. And then what came out of the grave was not the old sinful nature, but this brand new creation is what Paul says in Corinthians. Then I can really embrace and receive God's love in such a deep, meaningful way that I can love myself and I have something extra to share with you. Hmm. 
Okay. It's not about me having to get my act together so I feel more like I'm a better Christian so that I can act like I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my journey, I, I like to describe it in, um, I went through four gates in my understanding of God and my receiving Him in His fullness. Um, first, I accepted God as my creator growing up. I was in a Christian home. I never doubted that he was in charge and he was God, and I was not, but I didn't do anything with it in my life. Um, but then in college, through a lot of events, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and that's the, what we all recognize about the gospel and God's solution, hmm. is he forgave my sins, he washed them away. I can remember that feeling of peace and, and cleanness. And yes, now I am going to heaven. I do have my fire insurance, and now I have a greater purpose in life. And that really motivated me um, through the through, through the beginning years because of the euphoria and the enjoyment of that new um, that new life, eternal life. And then I accepted Jesus as my Lord, as you hear all the um, the encouragements and, and exhortation. And so then I began the path of obedience. But at that point, I was still a conflicted person of feeding my mind with God's word and obeying him and everything I was told to do. But it was still a, a, an effort, a stress, a strain. And in 30 years after my salvation, when I went through a series of events that brought me to explore my true relationship with God, although I know I was a Christian in that first time in 1970 and that I was his forever, I just didn't realize the fullness of it like Bo and Ben have said. So then finally I realized what he had done at the cross and how he had removed my sin nature, and now I could receive Jesus as my life. Hmm. See, before that, I just thought I was something disgusting to God. He loved me because he has to. That's his nature. Hmm. But I didn't think he liked me Hmm. because of that core identity of a sinner in there. And that was something he was going to eradicate somewhere, and we've talked about that at death. I don't know how that happens, really, in reality. But I just thought, well, as long as I keep Jesus around, then he's going to accept me too because Jesus is going to have his arm around me and say, here, God, receive my buddy too. And if Jesus went to see someone else, then I'm, I'm naked in front of him. And mm-hmm. he's going to look away and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that God, through Jesus, had removed not only my unrighteous acts but my unrighteousness and that he does like me, he wants to be with me, I began to experience his full presence and the joy that comes with that. And I'll never forget it. It was a moment I was going through one of our seminars that we teach here, Growing Grace in 2001. And during the break, the afternoon break, I just took a walk by myself out in a parking lot somewhere. And I was still struggling. What does this mean? I'm a sinner. I'm a not sinner. What is I? And it just took his revelation to me of God showing me. He said, Mark, you're my child. I like you, I love you, and I've made you perfect and complete. And that assurance in that moment, it was, I call it my Grinch moment, like you (laughs) see in the movie, or in the cartoon, actually, when he's trying to keep the sled from falling over the cliff, and all of a sudden he realizes the true meaning of of Christmas, and his big smile comes on his face, and his heart explodes, the little Mm x-ray thing and all that. And it was just in that moment, and I've never doubted that since. Well, I must doubt it, or I wouldn't sin. (laughs) So when I sin, I must doubt it. But that made the difference in how I can face my life forward and my behaviors going forward, is I am a new creation. That old nature is not there anymore. That's not a player on the board. Uh, The flesh is still there, and we talked about that last podcast and such. But my core being and my compatibility with him and his ability to cohabitate with me and unify with me is because he removed my sin nature.
I mean, all three of your accounts bring me to this idea that this is where a lot of Christians get hung up, where there's a lot of confusion, where there's a lot of, I think that's the best word, confusion, because if we aren't aware of what God has done for us and to us, then it allows Satan to feed us lies that there's still something wrong with you, right? That because you're still, your behavior isn't perfect, and because you're still having bad thoughts or bad behaviors or bad things like that, that you are the problem, right? And it's such a personal attack that most Christians, I would say, feel as if they're the problem. Because deep down inside, their heart is, again, we've talked about it, they have a new heart. They want to glorify God. They want to do what's right, and yet they find themselves sinning. <laughs> and that disparity, that those two things, those oppositions have to create and do create a dissonance within people that leads them to think, I'm the problem, what's going on, there must be something wrong with me. Like you said, Bo, it leads to a treadmill type of religious activity life where it's, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work to try to make sure that this problem is rectified, and I've got to be the one that does it. You know, from my own experience, that has a direct impact in when I battle temptation, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and how I see myself. I think for so long, I saw it as I identified with the desires of the flesh. That's who I am. That they were you. So, you know, I'm against God. God wants me to do mm-hmm. this, but I don't want to do that. And in mm-hmm. the Bible says we're no longer enemies of God. We were yeah. enemies. Now we're his friends. And so mm-hmm. that's just a huge change of thinking when yeah. we go into a temptation. Exactly. And this gets into the believers' battles session that we talk about. But, you know, my wife in our house, we rehabbed an old house, and we have some creaks in the floor sometimes in the middle of the night. And one night she woke me up, and she said, I think there's somebody in the house. Go. You know, and I was exhausted. I was in a dead sleep, and and I was thinking it's just creaks because this has happened before. But she wanted me to go down. And there's this moment of decision for me in that moment. And if I identify, I'm the type of person that doesn't want to love my wife, but mm. God wants me to get up and go love my wife, then I, now I'm in opposition. And that's a it's very deflating and mm-hmm. disempowering. And then while I'm doing it, I don't have joy. I'm frustrated. And if I don't find anybody, then I have a temptation to say something ugly to my wife. And it's all because I've identified. But if I, on the other hand, if I come into agreement and say, no, I'm the type of person that loves God, loves my wife. You know, I feel this tiredness that's pulling me Hmm. to be selfish, but that's not who I am. There's no life there. And then that's a very empowering. And even if I get down and I in the basement and don't see anybody, I still don't have ugly thoughts toward my wife because it's an opportunity to express who I am a a Hmm. person. So that's just one example of the transformation, you know, how I used to think more often was identify with that. And, and I can be sucked back into that sure. line of thinking, but just a, that transformation of identity from being an enemy of God and trying to do what he wants me to do, because mm-hmm. I know that's what I'm supposed to do to, this is what I really want to do. And I feel this pull of the flesh to not, mm-hmm. but that's not who I am. It's an empowering message. Great. Yeah. Can I amen that? Yeah. Because going back to Romans 6, 6 and Romans 6, 11, my most effective, victorious way of overcoming sin is realizing that's not who you are. Hmm. I mean, there's Bible commands. Oh, it says in the Bible you shouldn't do that, or that's not good behavior, or that's going to ruin your testimony, and all those are valid. But what really changes my heart, mind, and my process of thinking of it is this is not who you are. Hmm. You don't want to do this. Yeah. 
And the ultimate of recognizing both solutions is that it puts 100% of the glory focus on Christ. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because the, the gospel I grew up with is, okay, he cleanses you from sin, live the best you can, stop sinning, and it's going to be really good in heaven, right? Mm. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, sure. but this, when you study the biblical teaching of cleansing from sin, crucifying, burying, resurrected life, invitation to join life in Christ, with Christ in me, then it puts it all on him. He's done the work. Now I just get to choose to invest my faith in that and experience him. And that's obedience. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. so it is a work of mine, but it's a it's really focused on him empowering me because he did the completed work of salvation, yeah. not the treadmill. And, and that takes it from willpower to his power and from achieving to receiving, going mm-hmm. back to the two trees we talked yeah. about. Yeah. Well, it also goes to show just that a lot of times as Christians, we think that, like you said, we've got to fight ourselves, Ben. We've got, you know, like, I want to do this and God's over here. And so we get afraid of what we want or what we think we want, right? Where where there's this fear attached to, well, I really do actually deep down want to sin and I've got to fight. You know, it's kind of like God saved me from my sins and yet he's called me to be, you know, like him and to live out of him, but I have no desire to. That would be really cruel. You know, if God was like, be perfect, act like me, but you can't, right? That would just be cruel. And what he's saying is, I've given you my life so you can act like me out of that strength, out of that power. And it's possible because that's actually what you want to do. I've I've changed you from the inside. So we don't have to be afraid as Christians anymore of what it is that God has given us in our desires because our desires are for him and for good. And it's we conflate our desires and the flesh all the time. And we talked about this last week. But then that leads to this dissonance and this confusion of, well, I must be the problem because I'm thinking or feeling this way. So that's obviously a conflict or an issue that arises. What other issues, if you can think of any or um, articulate them, have you come across in your journey of how to understand, articulate, and live out these solutions that God has given in your life? To me, the biggest one I've wrestled is this teaching of Romans 6, 6 and Galatians 2, 20, the two solutions, Mm -hmm. is 180 degrees different from our life experience here on earth. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to be considered a success, go behave like one and we'll give you the title, Mm. a success. If you want to be labeled a failure, which nobody does, but if you fail enough, you will get that title. Mm. So what you do is who you are. And Christ says... You couldn't take the care of the behavioral part, the sin part. I mm. took care of that, mm. right? You couldn't change your nature. I can change it. Mm. And I did through the cross. But everything in the world screams, no, 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 That um. can't be true. <laughs> that There's no way. Maybe he could forgive you your sins, definitely could forgive you your sins, your behavior. But you got to clean those things up to make yourself acceptable. In other words, not a sinner yeah. or not a bad a sinner. Mm. And so to me, that's one of the biggest, even... You know, in my own journey, but also in in talking with others, is it just does not make sense based on the way the world's philosophy works. And that takes me to the point, too. When will that old nature be dealt with, eradicated, if not on the cross? Mm, Good question. And does it take your death in and all of a sudden he automatically, miraculously just removes it and then brings you into heaven? Mm. And I think I heard you say this once, and that makes your death more powerful than Christ's death. Because you're dying is what removes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking, you know, at the sacraments that you know the Christians celebrate, it's something that we 
it's right in front of us. You know, we have the wine that represents the blood and the body that represents his, you know, brokenness, his crucifixion. And so we partake of those elements, the whole idea of baptism, you know, being placed into Christ. And Peter says that's just like us going through the judgment and being raised in newness. So it's there, I think, maybe we haven't recognized it, but I I think God wants us to remember these things on an ongoing basis. We need to remember that we've died. As Bo said, we need to reckon it to be so. And I I think that for me is an ongoing process. It's a daily remembering. It's a a reckoning. It's waking up and knowing that what's happened to us, both Mm. of these, and, and that right there will change our daily existence, I think. But it's something that we have to remember because there's an enemy out there that wants to confuse us and mm-hmm. pull us back into the old ways of living. And there's a world system that's operating that we're in, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is giving us messages about our worth and value and, and who we are and who we may not be. So there's that, that, that temptation to be selfish. So I think God's given us those things to remember, do this in remembrance of me, but it's also, we've been joined to Christ. So it's, it's in remembrance of what's happened to us. And that's the good news. I mean, of all the sessions in the book, this is where it all hinges this. And in the next session on the great exchange, this is the great good news of the gospel. And it's supposed to be in our mind every Mm -hmm. day as believers what Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do in and through us. Yeah. I think another really big challenge is the emotions. We've touched on it earlier in our mm. conversation just a few moments ago. I'll never forget. I was in a church setting one time and somebody got up and said, we all know we have a sinful nature because don't you want to really sin? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you should do the right thing. And, and what they're talking about is that a feeling. Yeah that's based on old sinful thinking that they learned. The flesh is what we were talking about. The enemy is at work, obviously, in this picture. And I don't feel righteous or new, a new creation. I feel like a dirty sinner because I just did something or thought something I shouldn't have or whatever. And so our emotions, and I think the enemy likes to play to that as strong evidence. Hmm. They can't be true. That can't be true. You still wanted to tell that person off just Hmm. a moment ago. When in reality, Christ is saying, believe what I say is true. Hmm. And most people have lived, If well, maybe I should speak for myself, uh, it's very powerful, uh, long learning in the line of, I live how based on how I feel. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't feel right, it must not be right. And, and God's saying otherwise. Yeah. I think if we could almost, in the feelings range, you could probably rank it or like put a one to 100 scale on it. And I think that's what the enemy does a lot too, is he has us rate how righteous we are or how forgiven we are, or, you know, there's this quantity to it. And the reality is, is we're either dead or we're alive, mm-hmm. right? It's, there's no scale of one to 100. And I think a lot of Christians would say on a day when they're doing well on, on a Tuesday, hey, I haven't cuss today, or I haven't had a lustful thought, or I haven't, you know, you fill in the blank of what sin is going on in your life. It's like, well, um, you know, I'm like a eight out of 10 today. This is doing pretty good. And the reality is if we don't have Christ's life, we're a zero out of 10. 
Mm-hmm. Right? We are, there, there's no life, we're dead, and so every action is sinful. And so the, the idea is not that every action then when we b- become saved is righteous, but that we are 100% righteous. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what action happens, because the action does not change where we are on that spectrum. We're either fully righteous or we're not righteous at all. There's not a 80% righteous, and that's mm-hmm. part of what you said, Mark, is when we get to heaven, it's not like we're 80% righteous and all of a sudden he's got to hose us down that last 20% and now we're allowed in. It's, no, like he said on the cross, it is finished, and if it's finished, then we are now fully righteous. That's who we are, and when we begin to believe that, it's, you know, and that's where that confusion is. A lot of times I will say, well, I've had a good day today. Well, based on what? Well, based on my behavior, right? And that's that lie of, I'm believing Satan, and he's telling me, hey, you had a good day today, so you're actually a little bit more righteous than you were yesterday. And now it's focused where? It's focused on my behavior. And God's saying, we can focus on your behavior, but that's just going to be a dead end for you because it's never going to be good enough. I've demanded perfection, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And the opposite is, well, I've given you myself, I've given you my life, and I've given you my track record. You are now perfect in my sight. And that, to me, helps alleviate a lot of the challenges that I face any other challenges that you guys see within this? There's also another confusion, I think, on confusing temptation to sin as your nature. Mm, yeah. So Jesus, he was tempted in every way, yet mm. without sin. Mm. So just because he had physical desires, right, the desire to be accepted, the desire to be loved, the desire to get people to speak well of him instead of slander him, mm-hmm. the desire for his disciples not to abandon him, going into his, instead betray him. He didn't, you know, just because he had those desires doesn't mean that he had a sinful nature, mm-hmm. you know, and the sin again gets back to, I'm going to solve my problems my own way, and I'm going to gratify myself and whatever I want to do, regardless of God. And so even in his temptation, he submitted to God. And it's the same with us, I think, just because we're tempted with a sinful thought Hmm. doesn't mean that our nature is a sinner. And I think those things get confused. You know, I think I'm just so dirty because I even had that thought. I mean, Satan put thoughts in Jesus' mind Mm -hmm. and he never embraced those. He never accepted that to be the truth. And so just because we get thoughts in our mind and Satan hits twice and, and this gets into the believer's battle, but he puts a thought in and then puts a condemning thought in, mm. you know, or some kind of shaming thought or some kind of guilt thought when Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation, not because of what you've done or not done, but because Jesus has done and mm. given you uh, as a free gift of righteousness. And that's why I think this session is so important. God is inviting us to really grasp hold of the truth of these two solutions. Yep to be very, very confident in what he says in his word, Mm -hmm. that we're well, well grounded in that. And I think that for me is what's so beautiful about this is clarifying exactly what the scripture said was done at salvation so that it's clear in our mind when those temptations come. And so uh, you just brought up, Ben, one way that Jesus was able to do this, live out of God's solution, how does God's solution to these problems and Jesus living that out help make you or make it more clear for you or even just give you a better perspective on Jesus and, and draw you closer to him into that intimate relationship that he is wanting and offering? How does his life and these truths do that for us? Well, for me, 
it's knowing that Christ did it perfectly. And then, of course, died for us and was a perfect substitute and rose and went to heaven and has come back now to be my life. Um, it it gives me that sense of confidence, of empowerment, that he's doing it through me. Hmm. As I submit my will and as we've talked about and Mm -hmm. as I choose to believe who I really am, that I'm totally compatible with his life in me because Hmm. he's completely changed my capabilities to act out of his initiative and from his power. And knowing that, again, it brings the focus back on his work and his power. And before we started the podcast, we were talking about a golf match between Michael Jordan (laughs) and Steph Curry and all that. But it, it reminds me of the analogy, what if Michael Jordan was telling you, you can be on my team if you can play as good as I can. He throws the basketball at you. <laughs> now, ladies, I'm sorry, this analogy may not mean as much for you. And you try as best you can, but you can't play as good as him. And he says, okay, just relax in the chair. I'm going to come, and I'm going to jump inside your skin, and I'm going to play through you. Mm. Now, try to be on my team. And you're accepted by him. You're as good as him. You're performing like him because his life is working through you. And now Jesus is not challenging me to go against my own quote nature or my own quote desires and use my willpower he's saying just receive from me Mm. and believe me and receive what i can do through you and then out of obedience yes i will through my eyes and my mouth and my my gestures i will represent him because Mm. i am his container expressor well of course for me as i think about jesus and this truth he didn't of course had any sin and he didn't have a sin nature Uh, Mm -hmm. and that was why he was a perfect sacrifice but what it does remind me of is as I follow Jesus into what he's done as revealed in the scriptures, it results in this life of thanksgiving that Paul talks about giving thanks in all things and always giving thanks that it really taps me into this richness of the gift of, of God. Thank you, God, that you crucified with me, me with you. I'm no longer a sinner. So thank you. And as that, mm. that it leads me to just this adoration of him, enjoyment of him, because I no longer have to worry about, am I good enough for him today? Did I, mm. am I, am I showing incremental improvements? Is he going to be angry and kick me out of his presence or whatever, even though I know it says it doesn't do that, but it feels like I should. No, no, no. Now I'm confidently rooted and I can really enjoy him. And that's the same enjoyment that Jesus had of the father. Mm-hmm. He said at one point, he said, thank you, God, that you hear me. I know you hear me like before he prayed for Lazarus to be mm. brought out of the grave. And it was a confident, loving embrace. <laughs> Even though he was grieving the loss of Lazarus, he had this joyful embrace of his father that was just confident. And, mm. and so understanding these two solutions to me invites me to enjoy the same type of embrace in my daily. Mm. Yeah, so it brings that intimacy in that relationship, um, his grace and his solution, his power, his life in you breeds a close relationship yeah. where you could say the opposite, where it's us running on that treadmill of religion almost breeds the opposite, where I don't really want anything to do with God because he's the taskmaster master telling me I haven't measured up. Yeah, I like that idea of intimacy and relationship because as long as God was my creator and Jesus my Savior, my Lord, there was still some kind of distance because I was disgusting and still trying mm. to close a gap. Yeah. But with him as my life and my disgustedness being dealt with already, uh, yeah, I've come to realize he has everything to do with everything in my life, mm. not just compartmentalize him yeah. and enjoy his presence in each thing. That's brought me that joy and that peace that mm. he promises. Yeah, and, and he's not going to join himself to a sinner. I mean, mm. and so without that sinful nature being crucified, the old self being clarified, there's always going to be a gap. 
a question mark, mm-hmm. a worrisome of like, and then I'm probably going to fall back on my earthly training, which is okay. Well, I just got to act better. Maybe I can close the gap today. Mm-hmm. But if it's his doing by his doing that we're cross crucified with him, buried with him, mm-hmm. resurrected him, he's inviting us into his rest, mm-hmm. which is what the writer of Hebrews says exactly. for us to enter into his rest. And so that to me, just, and it glorifies Jesus's work. It's just magnificently beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another way you could say the rest is freedom. It's freedom to be who we were designed to be, you yeah. know, and there's a yeah. comfort there. There's a, Freedom from anxiety, freedom from mm. restlessness, even freedom from worry about the future. And mm. I've had a lot of things that have challenged me in my life. But this good news is that God is for me. We've been reconciled to God. We've been brought near, as Bo was talking about. We can have that same confidence that God the Father will hear us because of Jesus and this work. There's nothing separating us from the love of God in Christ. And so it is. It's freedom to really be able to love people. A lot of my early life, I was insecure. And so I was more worried about what other people were thinking about me rather than where is somebody else at? And what are they struggling Mm. with? Mm -hmm. Those thoughts weren't in my mind. It was, (laughs) what are they thinking about me? Do they think I'm cool? Am I going to get invited to this party or that? It's just a complete flip as far as the inner dialogue and the inner restfulness. And that's really who we were designed to be. We weren't made for stress and anxiety, fear and worry and depression and all that that comes from the self-centered line of thinking and being concerned about whether or not God cares about us, as you were saying, Mark. That's an anxiety right there. If you think God doesn't, God's not pleased with you, and I had those thoughts too. So I think just the freedom and the rest, as Bo says, but the freedom to love, to, to really love. Well, I think on those lines, that's a great way to close because I think just... As we've talked about this today, I think we can really encourage people to know that God is for them. If they are in Christ, that they have believed in him, that he is for them, that there is no gap anymore, that he loves them, that he's completely taken out their old heart and their old desires and given them a new heart and new desires. And so, I, you know, my prayer is for all four of us here today and anybody listening that that truth would really settle in more, that that would really be because of how important this is and what these truths mean to us and our experience here on earth every day. I just pray that that God would deepen that understanding in all of our minds. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate it. And that's it. We'll see you next week for episode nine. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will discuss the exchange of our old sinful nature for a new nature that's godly and righteous. We'll explore the ramification of our old nature dying and the remarkable transformation within us. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would take a minute to leave us a review. This podcast and all of our free content is made available to you because of the generosity of people from all around the world, people just like you. God bless and see you next week.